heading out to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been making our way through Ephesians over the last few weeks, as you know. So we have reached Ephesians chapter 4 this week. This section that we're going to look at today, titled The Unity of the One Body. Um, and in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Again, every time we see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask the question, why is the there therefore? Therefore, therefore. Um, and this case here, it has to do with everything we read in chapters 1 through 3. And we've read a lot about what God has done for us. And, you know, we're not going to review it today, but just all the blessings of the temple and how and we have access by one spirit onto the Father. And, you know, there's no more Jew nor Gentile. Everybody, all, every, anybody in the world, anywhere, can turn to the Lord, you know, get deliverance, get blessing, and then become a part of that wonderful body and then learn how they're part of God's temple and God dwells in them. There's, you know, we can go on and on and on. The blessings are so many. And therefore, God writes, I beseech you that you walk worthy. Now, the idea is that because of all this that he has done for us, there has to be a corresponding walk according to that, what he has done for us. If you know a lot of things from God's Word, but never do any of them, they are of no benefit or no blessing to you. It's like having a lot of theory and no practice, which are in some of our you know, educational institutions are masterful at. Lots of theory, no practice. But the best is when you know what, to, what, what, what you have and the blessing, and then you know what to do with that. It's like having the Spirit of God. You know, and many Christians have the Spirit. All Christians have the Spirit of God, and never operating the manifestations. You have the theory, but you know where's the practice? And here, you know, and again, I don't want to be too. Well, you know, chapters one through three are doctrine, and chapters four through six are practical. That's you know, that's that's when you read God's word, you see these trends in God's word, and you say, yeah, that is definitely the doctrine, and this is practice. But really, all of God's word is what doctrine, reproof, and correction. The word of God says all Scripture is given. Doctrine, reproof, and correction. It's not like you, you can... So, you know, don't be too caught up in that. But you'll see here, God starts to tell you the corresponding walk to what He has done for us in, all through this. And here it says to walk worthy. Walk worthy. And that does not... has does nothing to do with you or I being accepted. has nothing to do with your salvation. Absolutely nothing to do with that. The word worthy is a, is a, is a neat word here. Um... I think I wrote it down here somewhere. Yeah, it's axios. It's a cool word. It means that you have a balance. On one side, you have one thing. On the other side, you have the other thing. In this case here, on one side of the balance, we have all that God has done for us. On the other side, we have our walk. And if God says you can do that, then guess what? You're able to walk according to all that He has done for you. And that's, what, that's literally all it means. It's a balanced walk. Balance your walk with what you are in Christ and all that God has done for you in Christ. Um, there's another place that word is used where it says the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared. That word compared is, is that balance of life. Uh, and we're not just to talk about it, but we're to walk it. And here it says to walk worthy of the vocation. The word vocation is calling. It's translated calling everywhere else. It should be calling. Walk worthy of the calling. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Just flip back a second. 
verse 18. It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling, you know, what He's called you to, um, and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And stay, look at Philippians chapter 3. I just want to show you a couple of quick places where it talks about the calling. In Philippians 3, 14. It reads there, chapter 3, verse 14. I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, the calling to you, us, the calling that we've been given to you is, is, is a calling that is tied to the great purpose of the ages, which was for God to dwell in His people. Our calling is related to that. It's not, you know, God hasn't called you to be a plumber or God hasn't called you to be an engineer. Or God, that's not the call. The calling is to walk worthy of all that God had tied up. And that purpose of the ages is not only impacting us in this life, but in also in that which is to come. There's a lot more coming. It's not just this. There's a lot more coming. Um, and the goal of that calling is that, you know, like, like uh, Peter was praying, you know, it's not that we're glorified, but that Christ is glorified. That's, the, that's our calling. When we walk, Christ ought to be glorified. Verse 2, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another with love. And this is the the characteristics of that walk. We're to walk with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. The, the word lowliness means literally humility of mind, to walk with a humble mind. And the word meekness there is, you know, if you look it up, it really, to not live a life where we fight against God's Word, but we accept God's Word, and we walk accordingly to that um, it's really easy, you know, and like, actually, I want you to just, just keep your finger here in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 2, it says, um, let's read that. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, humility of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. There's another... Uh, Definition of what humility of mind means that we, we're more concerned about others than ourselves. That's you know humility of mind. Um, sometimes the words lowly and meekness, you know, when, when they're applied to Christians, the world takes a little bit of a oh you're just a little humble little Christian, you know, you know. In other words, uh, implying that people can walk right over you because you know you're a doormat, that kind of thing. That's not what humility of mind or humbleness means whatsoever. Um, would you say Moses was a meek man? Isn't it, doesn't it say in the Bible that he was the meekest of all men on the face of the earth? He's the same man that melted the calf and made the Israelites drink it. Right. Same guy. Kind of a you know, weak little humble being, isn't he? Right. No. When he stood for God, right, meek, meek to God, but that means when, when you've got to walk for God, you've got to do what you've got to do. It's not a matter of, oh, you know, I'm just so little... E Measy little Christian, look at me how humble and lowly. That's not what it means. It means you're meek to God and humble to God. And then you do what he tells you. And when Moses was told by God, melt that calf and make them drink it, that's what he did. That took a little bit of intestinal fortitude, right? A little bit of strength. How about Jesus Christ, right? Remember, he goes into the temple and just overturns the tables of money changers. When the soldiers come to him, he says, here I am, and they all fall back. Think Jesus Christ was meek and humble? Yeah. 
but his walk was one of power. Right? Um, there's a lot of examples. We don't have to go to all of those. In Colossians chapter 3. You know, so don't be confused by the word humility or meekness. Colossians chapter 3. Again, a lot of parallelisms in Colossians and Philippians. and Verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, again, meekness. You know, you'll see this again and again. It characterizes the walk of those who are the dwelling of God. You walk with... You walk the same way and the same characteristics that the Lord walked with and that come right from God. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Remember we looked at how you walked in love the same way Christ walked in love. And above all these things put on love or charity, which is the bond of perfectness. It's a cohesive element in the body of Christ is love. And Ephesians definitely is the book about love and walking in love. Back to Ephesians 4. So this this lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, all these terms are required to do verse 3, which is endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Literally, this reads unity that is from the Spirit. There is no... There is no the, the fact that we have unity is because we all have Christ in us. There's no corporate unity here. And if we ever are to start thinking the one body is this little fellowship where we're totally mistaken, the one body is what God has called through Jesus Christ people to. It doesn't matter what denomination or where you're from. or it has nothing to do with that. The unity of the Spirit is something that God set up in the body of Christ. It's not a corporate unity. You, know, you walk into a Presbyterian church or a you know, uh, Lutheran church, or, and, you, and we think, well, that body, and that that's not what, it, the body is one. Christ is the head, flat organization, all of us members, there's only one name position, Christ, and that's the unity. It's the unity is in the spirit, and that's what God is talking about here. It's not talking about any kind of, trying to maintain some kind of corporate unity. And here, it's endeavoring, the word endeavoring is, is a word used a lot of times in the Bible, talking about working really hard, diligently, not just, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. No, it's working really hard to maintain or to keep the unity that God has made. And that, you know, that, that means, um, you know, if someone preaches three gods instead of one, you've got to stand up and say, no, there's one God. You know, if someone says, you know, when you die, you go to heaven, you go, no, the Bible says that when the Lord comes back, is, you know, you, you endeavor by speaking God's word. Remember, it's all built in the foundation, the apostles and prophets and all that. Don't forget all that stuff, right? Where, and that was the word. The word was the foundation. And so if someone tears at that, it's tearing at the unity. So you stand up for it. That's endeavoring to keep the unity. You speak God's word and say, no, and I don't mean in a, you know, again, never forget in verse 2, lowliness, humbleness of mind, meekness, humility, love, forbearing one another, all those things are required because if we don't walk that way, then if I see somebody in the body of Christ who's a, you know, maybe not as strong a believer, I might be tempted to be harsh with them. right? But that's not what God's called us to. He's called us to love, meekness. So when we read the rest of this, don't forget verse 2. God put that where He wanted it. Because if you want to keep the unity then you've got to walk that way. It's to encourage one to think more about other people than our own selves and to help others. Um, and that's the only way that the unity is ever maintained. Um, okay.
and that you know there's again we could spend a lot of time talking about how we think of one another but we won't but you know you, you know according the standard of me thinking of you and you thinking of me is Christ Jesus if I, if I think of you as Christ and you think of me as having Christ in me then we deal with one another that way and that's a great way to maintain or keep the unity and now we get to verse 4 and 6 where uh, where it talks about that unity and gives us some more aspects so it, God says to endeavor to keep the unity and here it is they're one body one spirit one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is through all, through who's above all and through all and in you all. There's the there's the details of that unity. There's one body, not many, you know, not not a lot of. There's no branding in in in, in uh, denominations or fellowships or company organizations. Nothing like that is one body. That's it. One body. You meet a you meet a believer on the street. You know, I really hate when they ask you. You know what denomination are you? <laughs> you know, I I really don't like that because that does not help to maintain or keep the unity. Literally, it doesn't, does it? Because as soon as you say, "Well, I'm so and so," then all of a sudden, in the back of their mind, they have this list of things that applies to you. The branding, my brand, I was you know telling what what what's your brand? Christ, you're you're branded with Christ. Paul said, "I have bear the body, my body, the marks of Jesus Christ." That's the marking of those that are in the one body. There's no other. The other stuff, anything above that, and there's a lot of them, is all man-made. All of it. There's one body. One. You see how maintaining that even amongst the 2,000 denominations in the world alone is a challenge? You know, well, you're a Presbyterian. You're a Lutheran. You know, how many, how many evils took place in the, in the country of Ireland? North and South. Catholic and Protestant. You know, people killing one another. That's not maintaining the unity. <laughs> People do all things in the name of things that are man-made, but God says, look, one spirit, you're all born again. Um, his dwelling place is not all. His dwelling place is not just in the Catholics or the Protestants or in this fellowship or the Lutherans. It's not that. It's in all those who make Jesus their Lord. If you walk that way, boy, you can, you know, um, you forget about all the other stuff. One spirit, the new birth spirit, the new birth spirit given to every believer. You see those things God lines up even as you're called in one hope. In in in, in, in uh, the first part of Ephesians, we read the Israel, Israel uh, sorry the Gentiles had no hope. <laughs> there was none, and I think we're most of all from a Gentile background here. No hope, and now God says you only have one. There's one hope. It's the same hope. There isn't a hope for these people and hope. We're all going to the same place. The Lord's coming back. We're going to be with Him forever, eternity. That's one hope. That's a part of the unity. Maintain one hope. Right? One, one Lord in 1 Corinthians. Just briefly flip to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 8. First Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. And it doesn't say they're the same. One Lord and one God, different. But there's one, and by whom are all things, and we by him. So that message is right throughout the, the, gospel, uh, the epistles. Back to Ephesians chapter 4. So one, one Lord, right? One Lord. The word God is the word Theos there, and the word Lord is Kyrios, different words. So one is the Lord, one is God. The head of the body, only one name positions. And there are a lot of problems that arise when people forget 
that Christ is the head. And we'll see that in a little bit in a few verses. Verse, uh, next part, one faith. One faith. There, there's only one who has ever accomplished believing and given mankind what to believe. That was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ accomplished that, the, what we call the right way of believing, to believe rightly. And he accomplished, started believing, and he finished believing. And anybody now who makes him Lord has access to believing rightly according to Jesus Christ. That is the one faith here, or the one believing it's talking about. One baptism. Um, we have to read Acts chapter 2. Keep your minds, uh, keep your fingers there in Acts chapter 2. For a period of time, we know there was a baptism by water, and that was John the Baptist when he was here, you know, declaring the way of the Lord and making paths straight for the coming of the Lord. Uh, but then once that was completed, in Acts 2.38, it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here it's talking about baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. So the baptism this is talking about is baptism in the name of Jesus Christ or baptism by Holy Spirit, which is getting born again. That's all, that's all, that's what it's referring to. Um, so the one baptism, again, baptism in Holy Spirit, not water. And again, we have other groups that built upon the foundation this whole structure based on water baptism. Well, well, here God says, wait a minute, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about baptism in Spirit. We're talking about one Lord, one Spirit, one God. One f that's the unity, not the other stuff. With the, and then the last, um, sorry, one faith, one baptism. I got those reversed there. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And without God, you just don't have any unity whatsoever. He's the author of everything, is he not? One God, not three, not many, not different, not gods that teach different doctrines. Because, you know, they'll say, they'll all say, well, all the gods and all the religions are the same. I beg to differ on that one very, very <laughs> clearly. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is not Allah. Allah is not the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is Vishnu, neither is Shiva, neither is Rama, neither is Krishna, or the other billions of gods that are out there. It is God and Father for our Lord Jesus Christ. Jehovah, as it known in the Old Testament. So let's, not, let's keep that straight. Otherwise you have people saying, well, you believe in the same God. Yeah, well, if I believe in the same God, then how come this one is teaching something radically different from the one that I choose to worship? Verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, or he captivated those who hold us captive, and gave gifts unto men. You know, here um, it says that Jesus Christ led captivity captive, and he gave gifts, and we're going to read about the gifts in a minute here. But the, the, the fact that he led captivity captive means that the devil has no longer has any authority over you. Um, you he has no right on the believer. Now, he will take whatever he can, don't get me wrong, but he has no right over your life. Um, so, you know, when, let's say you get, does anybody ever here get sick? Yeah, okay, it happens. If I get sick, 
The last thing I want to do is say, well, the devil got to me. Right? That honors him, doesn't it? I'm not going to honor the adversary. Don't ever talk about him. Don't even bring him up in conversation. When you get sick, what do you do? You go to God, God, I know what your word says. Thank you. I know what Jesus Christ accomplished for me. Let's not give him the time of day in our lives. Because you'll see later on, he even says there, it's a shame even to speak of these things. So when, you know, when, things, when you get attacked, I don't want to honor the adversary. I want to honor God. I want to honor Jesus Christ and what they've done for us. You know, I'm not going to, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Let captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So um, one of the things, if you remember in the doctrinal portion related to this was God said that he was going to, by the church, show to all these principalities and powers the wisdom that he had in setting up the one body, the mystery. That's one of the things, to show these guys, listen, you look at this, this is my church, you leave my church alone, you have no rights over this church whatsoever. Jesus Christ led captivity captive. Done deal. So now if you get attacked, it's going to happen, you go to God. Verse 9, Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended up above, up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Remember that? He, we read that he passed through the heavens in a place where you know, even astronomy can't even see there. Okay, Astronomy only can see to the heaven. They can't even see the heaven of heavens. They certainly can't see when he passed through the heavens. No telescope can see where this is talking about. Okay, it's well beyond you know uh, these you were praying about. You know God's ways being higher than our ways. It's way beyond anything man could understand, and that's where Jesus Christ ascended to. Um, and he gave some. And here's the gifts. Here's the gifts that he gave. Sometimes we call these the gift ministries. The word ministry means to serve. Their ways of serving. There were, there were, there were uh, things that Jesus Christ gave to the church because he's responsible for the church. He's the head of the church. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And there's a certain reason that these were all given, and that's given in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It only makes sense that Jesus Christ gives those because he is the head of the body. And he is in charge. That's his responsibility. So what are these gifts that he gives to the church? And, um, it's not talking about giving, giving specific gifts to certain believers. Okay, That's not what it's talking about. He's talking about giving gifts to the church. Gifts of people to the church, to edify the church. So apostles, messengers of God, who have a information to deliver, you know, sometimes you think of that as an envoy for God or for Jesus Christ. Sometimes they were the apostles of Jesus Christ. People delivering a message for on behalf of God, similar to a prophet, uh, someone who's, who speaks for God. And a lot of times prophets will also foretell the future. Not always. Sometimes it's just foretelling, just speaking God's word out. And generally prophets were the most, some of the least popular people in their time. Because they, had, they didn't mince words, and they still don't. They speak the words, this is, thus saith the Lord, this is what it says. Don't care if it hurts your feelings. This is what the Word of God says. Prophets, a very specific ministry. Do they have any more Holy Spirit than any believer? No. It's just a gift given as a ministry to bless the body. 
evangelist, declares the gospel of Jesus Christ, but here there are gifts given to the church. So this is not just talking about you know, evangelizing, and sometimes people say, oh, he's an evangelist, he goes out into the unsaved. Yeah, that's part of the ministry. But a lot of the ministry of an evangelist is to the body of Christ. Does the body of Christ need the gospel? <laughs> yeah, regularly. So once you make Jesus your Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, he's your Savior, do you need him tomorrow as your Savior? And the next day, and the next day, you need the gospel. Evangelists preach not only to, remember uh, Apollo, Apollos, right? He helped them much, right? They were already born again, but he helped them much through what he taught because he knew about Christ now. That's evangelism. Pastor, you know, shepherds, uh, here, uh, the word pastor is literally, the working translation is, is the word shepherds. And again, we can spend a, you know, days talking about the ministry of shepherds and how they bind the wounds and heal and they, they take care of and, and they don't preach condemnation. They preach love, take care of people, to help them encourage one another to grow up into Christ. You know, shepherding or uh, um, remember and there, Peter was talking about feed the flock, right? That is among you talking about feed them with God's word. And then teachers, which is pretty straightforward. Um, what, what, and again, these are special ministries. This is not talking about anybody who teaches God's word. This is talking about special gifts that Jesus Christ gives to the church. And by the way, Jesus Christ was all of these things, right? if you think about it. Every single one of them. He was a prophet like unto me. The, and Hebrews calls him the apostle. Was he, was he a pastor? <laughs> was he a teacher of God's word? Right? Was he a, did he ever preach the gospel as an evangelist? I think someone's phone is not on mute, guys. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why those ministries were given. So the believers, we, we can all be fully equipped to deal with whatever comes our way. Um, because spiritually, are we all perfect? Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Because you can't mar the spirit. Right? So this is, ta- again, this is interesting that this, these gifts are given in, the, in the, what we call the practical section. Because here it's talking about helping believers with their walk. To help them walk according to all that Christ has done for them. Verse 13, when are they going to be in effect until? I love this verse. Till we all come in the unity of the faith or the right way of believing. And, and, and even, it should be the word, even, even the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now all this will happen until the return of Christ. And our goal until the return of Christ is to grow up. That's what the word means. The word perfect here word means mature. Is to grow up. Uh, um, to walk fully mature in Christ, which was part of the mystery we talked about. How, you know, how much He's done for us. That now we just say, wow, look at what you've done. And then recognize that we're to grow up and mature. There's no room in the body of Christ. And this happens. We do it. People do it. But to say things like, you know, I'll never amount to anything. I'm just a lowly sinner. You know, what, what me? I don't know very much. You know, what, who am I? I? I don't have much of an impact on anybody. And that's ungodly thinking. Here, God's Word says, grow up. That's to me, Raj. Grow up. Be mature in Christ. 
you can walk this way, the balance. God wouldn't say you can do this if he didn't, hadn't done all this. And he says you can do this, then you can walk that way. You can walk fully mature in Christ. You know, um, the devil, we know, is an eternal loser. Right? We know that. I mean, Jesus Christ has led captivity captive. Now he is an eternal loser. And guess what? He knows that. He knows because he knows because he knows the word. He knows he's an eternal loser. But what he will do to you is he will take you down and and rob you of as many rewards as he possibly can. That's his ministry to you. That's his deceitfulness. We'll see it in a verse here. He will steal from you. He will take from you and rob you of your rewards. He'll say, well, you'll never amount to anything. What are you? Come on. What do you know anyway? You know? You're just a little silly, humble, little, meek, lowly, milk-toast Christian. I can walk all over you. Watch this. And you hear the words again and again. Here, we read God's word. The dwelling place of God. That's what God said. You're my dwelling place. So he says, look what I've done for you in Christ. And he says, walk this way. And guess what? You can walk this way. I've I've, I've done this for you. You can walk this way now. And yet, you know, what am I? You know. You know, so the balanced walk. You can walk fully mature in Christ. So that's, that's what these ministries were for. That's the purpose so that we... Now, it tells you, he wants you to walk that way. Why? Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. See, so he just told you, he says, grow up. <laughs> Don't stay children. You know, if we were kids our whole life, you know, we'd be 38 and still living at home. Right, well, that's okay. <laughs> you know, people make fun of that. But, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm just saying that you know, when I'm 38, I'm not still drinking, eating pablum, am I? Or, you know, still drooling? Well, maybe, <laughs> you know. But the whole point is to grow up, mature into Christ, and to recognize that we can be that way, that we can walk mature and help people. Um, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. This is a great verse. By the slight of men and lost my place and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive here uh, the, the working translation puts this as carried about by every wind of the deceptive teaching of crafty men with their strategies of delusion right. I want to take you to uh, let you stay, stay a second um, the only way you can be deceived is if you don't know the doctrine right. in, in, in Corinthians it talks about but I fear lest by any means that the serpent beguiled Eve to the subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What, was, what, what happened to Eve? Right? Had she known the word of God, would she have been deceived? No. If she had stuck to what she knew of God's word. So what, what was the subtlety? What, was this, what, what did the devil do subtly to Eve? He talked her out of God's word. That's what the deception is here. People teach, well, yeah, Christ has already come, you know. Uh, th- there's, the return has already happened. There is no, you know, uh, thanks. Or, you know, oh, the, the, you know, why don't you kill yourself now? You go to heaven right away and be with the Lord. That's deception. That's not happening. Okay? It's until, until the Lord comes back. Right? There's a lot, of decept- a lot of deceptive teaching out there. And, you know, here Jesus Christ had given these ministries to make sure that the believers didn't get tossed aside in, the, in those directions that they weren't tricked off of God's word so you know how easy is it to deceive a child because it talks about it here and for being no more children so God says that if we're deceived off of God's word we're acting like children can't you just talk to a child and say hey you know what 
Santa Claus is real. They believe you. Why wouldn't they? You fed them, you've taken care of them, you love them. They're going to believe you. Right? They're just so humble and innocent. They'll just believe anything you tell them. And God says, don't be like that. Don't believe anything anybody ever tells you. Corinthians is full of examples of how they would put up with just about anything. He goes, you know, a guy comes, he slaps you in the face, does this. You put up with it. You guys put up with it too easily. Right? That's a whole, Corinthians is all about that. Paul called them back to the gospel. He goes, forget it. There's a lot of other super apostles teaching all kinds of gospels, and you guys just keep putting up with it. Stop that nonsense. Don't be children. Grow up. Know the doctrine. That's what he's telling us here. Right? Know the doctrine. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know. A lot of times, believers just go off the doctrine knowingly. You know, uh, oh, does tongues really matter anymore? Yeah, maybe it wasn't as important as I thought. You know, but I've heard believers say that. I've heard believers go back to the teaching that 20 years ago they would have said, "Oh man, that's I can't believe that that person's teaching that." You know, so the only way you stick to the gospel is by you and me knowing the gospel. You know, if I gave you a $3 bill, the only reason you know I'm messing with you is because you know that there's no such thing as a $3 bill. Right? If you don't, let, let me know. I'll, I'll give you a bunch of them. Right? <laughs> I'll print my own, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the doctrine. If you don't know the genuine, and then the way the devil works, and this is his subtlety, his subtlety is not that he'll tell you, here's the $3 bill. He'll give you something that's very, very, you know, the, the, the worst counterfeit is the one that's very, very close. The best counterfeit is the one that's very, very close to the genuine. Just a little bit off, a little bit off, and eventually, you know, the steamliner takes a little bit off course, and by the time it goes overseas, he's a thousand miles off course, and you say, how did I end up in, you know, Madagascar when I was going to London? You know, whatever. My geography might not be right there, but, you know, so, uh, that's the whole point. Is it's off the do- It's knowing God's word. You you know, don't take my word for it. What does it say? You read it yourself. That's what it says. That's what I'm going to stick to the rest of my life. I am not going to be deceived off of God's word, and that's a determination of every single believer. Right? That's what. That's the whole point of it. Uh, by the slight of men again. And I was. I had another place here. Actually, we should go look at this. This is interesting. Luke chapter twenty. I want to show you this. Sorry, going a little bit longer today, but this is a. Um, Luke 20. <laughs> this is important to understand in your life, in my life. Because it says here, you know, lie and wait to deceive. Don't Make no mistake about it. It is an orchestrated attack on you. It is not random. There are deliberate plans. There are schemes. There are methods. You know, we'll see that in the, all throughout Ephesians. Targeted at the believer. It's not random. Right? I'll give you an example. In Luke chapter 20, the same word craftiness is used here in chapter 20, verse... I think I'm going to go 20. Yeah, 20, verse 20. And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words. So this is an orchestrator tag, right? These guys made a plan. They sent out these guys that were spies that they might take hold of his words that so they might deliver him onto the power and authority of the governor. They wanted to get him arrested and killed, so they sent out spies that should feign themselves men. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. Oh yeah, we know you're the great teacher. Yeah, you can almost 
feel the grease slipping off their hair here. We know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the person of any, because you're just a wonderful guy, but teachest the way of God truly. Tell us, is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Should we pay taxes or not? So he tried to trick him up with a question. Should we pay taxes? Because if he says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Christ, to Caesar, they've got him, right? Right? Because he's breaking the law. If he says yes, he's going to say, well, how come your apostles don't do it? How come you haven't done it? So they, they set him up for a fall here. Verse 23. But he perceived their what? Craftiness. The same word we just read in Ephesians, right? He perceived their craftiness. And he gives him a wonderful, says, you know, gives a penny. He goes, whose picture's in the penny? And, and, and superscription, whose image and superscription is this? They answered him, Caesar. And he goes, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar, and to God things that are God's. And they, couldn't, and they couldn't respond to him. They could not respond to him. But the thing I wanted to see that show you there is, it was a plan orchestrated against Jesus Christ to trip him up. And here, it talks about the same plans against believers don't don't be you know don't be mistaken you get attacked look for the source look for what's behind it sometimes we get angry at the attack itself but don't 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 go down that road recognize what's behind it and here and the way to stay sharp is to stay on the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ and know it cold so when you hear those words coming at you that's not true i know what the word says that's what if eve had done that would be in a different place right now wouldn't we <laughs> right but eve said yeah maybe let me think about that. No. Let's not go down that road. But, uh, two verses left here. We're almost done. I want to read you. E.W. Bollinger said about that verse. He said, These figures, child-tossed, wind, slight, combine to paint a vivid picture of the instability of the immature believer subject to every design and device of others. Uh, Charles Welch said, Men may throw the loaded dice, but the wiles are the wiles of the devil person up front with the dice isn't the person you need to be afraid of or, or be respectful of. It's what's behind it. The wiles of the devil. The methods of the devil. And the way you beat those, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. The gospel of God, of, of God concerning Jesus Christ. Right. Verse 15. Contrary, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him. Again, there's that grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. The word speaking the truth literally is a bigger word than just saying it. It's being or living the truth in every manner of life. It's not just the words. It's living or being the truth because that's what we are with Christ in us. Um, may grow up into him. In verse 16 to close today, from whom the whole body, this is a great verse. Again, we could spend a whole fellowship on this verse. We won't. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's a mouthful, eh? <laughs> right? Just a wonderful verse, but you know, literally what it means, and very, very simply talks about from whom. That's talking about coming from Christ. It's an ongoing thing that Christ is the head of the body. Christ is the head of the body. This is not talking about, you know, again, when it talks about the effectual working and the measure of every part. That's talking about the individual believers. Right? But it doesn't work 
downwards from the bottom upwards, where every believer is doing this, this, and what it's talking about is Christ is the head. You know, my hand doesn't tell my brain what to do. If it did, we have a different kind of situation here, and we should deal with that. <laughs> my brain tells my hand what to do. My brain tells my feet what to do. Christ is the head. The life of the body must flow from Christ who is the head to the individual members. And that's what this verse is talking about. Right? The body builds and builds and builds as every member, every believer does what the head says to do. That's when it builds. It doesn't build by other believers saying, well, I'm going to do this to really build the body up. And another believer says this, I'm going to do this. And God has done any of that. It's talking about following Christ who is the head. It's not just talking about every believer getting busy and doing stuff. It's talking about every believer operating the full measure, nine manifestations. Every believer has the same Christ in them. Every believer recognizing that God has placed you in the body as it had pleased Him. So if you do what God works in you to do through Christ, then the body is built up. Then the body is edified. Then the body grows and grows and grows. And, you know, a lot of these words here, every joint supplies, compacted. The body gets fused together. Every li- the, the, the words used are talking about the bones being held together, the ligaments and all these things held together. And it's talking about how every believer, every member doing what's required by God working in them through Christ and the body is built and built and built and built. Um, then we have the benefits and the thing that holds all this together. And last word in that verse, love, edifying of itself in love. And again, the, the in Ephesians is the great book about love. And how we read about in the closing of chapter 3, breadth, length, height, and depth, and that wonderful four dimensions of this great love that we walk with. You know, and that's how this whole section from Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, talking about that unity of the one body, works together. How it's held together by Christ and all that Christ accomplished. And now the exhortation for us to walk according to all that he has accomplished according to that great calling that he has called us to of the great purpose of the ages you know so it's a real blessing and a privilege to be a part of the greatest group of people on the face of the earth which is the body of christ you know uh, with christ as the wonderful head so god bless